Welcome to Flashback, a podcast by the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. Get ready to dust the nostalgia off your sleeve as we talk with Okaloosa citizens who share with us how things used to be. I'm your host, Nick Tomacek. It's time to step into your imaginary DeLorean, tap your flux capacitor, and flashback. Flashbackers, welcome to another episode of captivating, enchanting, mind-blowing audio about Okaloosa County history. Today, let's talk treasure. Have you ever started to daydream maybe while walking on the beach and think, one of these days I'm going to find a suitcase full of cash washed up on the beach? Well, I have that daydream at least every week. Sadly, Over the years, no cash, no treasure for Nick. Today's story comes to you from the 1950s from a gentleman named Jimmy G. War Sr. He was a boy living in Fort Walton Beach at that time. He and his friends that he affectionately calls the Three Amigos had discovered what I have dreamed about for years living in beautiful Okaloosa County and it landed their story in every newspaper across the country. Let's get right to it. I'm Jimmy G. War Sr. Of course, I wasn't a senior back then. <laughs> but um, uh, I live in Panama City. I was raised uh, the first 10, 12 years of my life in out in southern Alabama. Then I moved to Fort Walton. And uh, that's where we started with the money. Uh, moved to Fort Walton in 1950. And uh, uh, my three... We called ourselves the Three Amigos. We were just close friends, and we got our BB guns for Christmas, and, and of course, we wanted a shotgun, but we weren't quite old enough for that. So we got our BB guns, and we started out on a hunting trip on December the 26th, the day after Christmas, 1950. And we uh, went to a swamp, and I, I'll tell you where it's at because it's not there anymore. Okay. Uh, it used to be First Street that went down across by the old cremette and across over the old high school and went down to the uh, city hall. It used to be called First Street. I think it's called Second Street now because mm, okay. they've changed the names on the streets. But anyway, when you come to the corner of Perry Boulevard and Second uh, First Street, there's a bank on the right-hand side now. It's not one, There wasn't one then. And there's a big shopping center on the left. Now, you're stopped at Perry and uh, First Street. Okay. You look over there, there's a big shopping center, and that was a big swamp. Oh, really? And the only place that was on that corner was the old uh, uh, gambling center uh, there on the corner of Perry and uh, and, uh, 98. Uh, The Magnolia uh, Bar, I guess? It was called the Magnolia Inn. That's correct. The Magnolia Club, or Magnolia Bar, or just Magnolia, was one of two popular clubs in the area in the late 1940s and 50s for dancing, music, gambling, and partying. The other popular club was the Shalimar Club. We did an episode on Shalimar. Go check it out. Here's a newspaper ad from when the Magnolia Club finished a renovation in what I believe to be 1940. It says, New Magnolia Bar, recently rebuilt and equipped large dance floor orchestra, plenty of parking space, large, well-appointed, cool new building, new location, cigars, cigarettes, and tobaccos. Cocktails are mixed the way you like them in our new cocktail lounge. 
steak and seafood dinners, sandwiches, etc. And here's another ad from 1947. It says, When you vacation at Fort Walton, spend your evenings with us, Magnolia, one of the South's finest clubs in the heart of Fort Walton, featuring the country's top-notch bands. Already this year, such bands as Jan Garber, Dick Rankin, Clarence Schenck, Carlos Molina, and Freddie Cook have been featured. The Magnolia is more than a bar, more than a dance hall, more than a dining room. The Magnolia is all of these glorified. A beautiful, friendly pleasure palace featuring the finest foods and drinks. It lists the phone number too on there as 2231. Yeah, that's it. Just 2231. Back to Jimmy's story. And that was the only place it was in that corner. We were back up about... 200 yards from the intersection on the left in that swamp. And my buddy had to relieve himself. Mm-hmm. We were all sitting around there together and waiting for him to get through with this uh, problem. And he found he didn't bring any paper. I mean, I'm telling you like it was now. <laughs> he, he didn't bring any paper with him, so he had to get some pine straw to, to take care of himself. Oh, man. And when he reached down to get that pine straw, he saw a dollar bi- a bill, a, a, a money bill sticking up out of the corner. And he said, man, there's money here. Well, when he said that, we all jumped up, throwed our BB guns down, and jumped up and went over and started digging. And it come up in lumps because it had been there a long time. And, uh, we, of course, we put it in our shirts and so forth and so on and and got it all, what we found, all that we could find. And then we went out on, on uh, First Street, and a, a guy named Mr. Brooks stopped and picked us up. He saw us. He was going to work. And he picked us up, and he carried us back to his home because he saw what kind of mess we were in with all that straw in our shirts and palmetto bugs coming out. And so he carried us to his home, and he lived on... on uh, Ferry Avenue, which is now a paved all, but when you turned off a ferry on the Ferry Avenue off of Hollywood, that was a dirt road then. Mm. He lived about two or three houses down there, and his wife came out and she took took us in and took the money and she sep- got it in her sink over there and started separating it because some of it would tear, you know, it was so old, and she separated what she could. And the only way you could get money replaced is you had to have the serial number off of that bill. Mm-hmm. So there was some that we couldn't replace. I don't know how much it was. That's been a long time ago. But uh, <clears throat> what she cleaned up was $1,176. Wow. And uh, she put it on newspaper, which I think you probably saw that, mm-hmm. and dried it in the oven of her stove, not in the oven. She laid it on the door when the oven was on, and she laid it on the door until it, you know, dried it. And we called Ralph Hendricks, who was our sheriff at that time, and he came down there, and he took the money, and he said, I'll have to take it and put it in a safe so we can figure out what's going on here. Well, it was a rainy afternoon, and I hadn't reported to my mother, and she got to looking for me, and she was going to give me a good one mm. when she found me because we was walking up Hollywood toward the corner down there uh, at Hollywood in, in 85. And my daddy run a little Amoco service station right there, or pure oil, excuse me, pure oil. 
and he ran it for uh, Mr. Lee, who owned the Pontiac place. And when we got down there, uh, uh, Daddy told Mama just to cool down and let us tell what was going on, and we did. And of course, he believed us. And uh, he, so anyway, that that's where it ended it that day. But then it went on into the sheriff's department, into the law enforcement agencies. And Ralph Hendricks took it to Crestview and put it in the safe because that was our county seat at the time. We don't didn't have a nothing but a jail there at Fort Wallen. It was a little tiny one room jail. Mm. So he carried it to Crestview and put it in the safe. Then the search began, and they of course they had a lot of people claimed it, like the Higley Wigglies and the uh, uh, different stores there in, in Fort Wallen. They claimed it, but in the meantime, I'll stop right there. In the meantime, Fox News came down, and they took us out of school and carried us over there behind the cremette where the Ferry Avenue used to end right there, and it, and it cut across behind the old Piggly Wiggly store, which is now for Walton Auto Parts. Okay. And it and it went on across Perry and went on down. And, and from Perry to Hollywood, that was the only paved road that we could ride our bicycles on, Ferry, Ferry Avenue, because Mom and Daddy wouldn't let us go anywhere on, on that had cars on it. But that being said, uh, then uh, they carried us out there behind the Piggly Wiggly store and reenacted that. That because that, you couldn't do it in the swamp because there wasn't enough light. Okay. Now you said Fox News. Fox News. That I didn't think Fox News existed then. Well, that's what we understood was okay. Fox News. Now it may not have been. You know, I'm talking from my old memory, and and it's been a long time ago. But anyway, it was like, a, a, news it was like a TV station, I guess, then, huh? Yeah, uh, uh, a news agency came down. I okay. know that. They were in their trucks and things like that. And they took us out behind the old Piggly Wiggly store there, though, where the cremette, it, it'd come up to a corner, Ferry Avenue come up to a corner there and hit uh, the street there and ended. Uh, and they, we, we got behind out behind Ferry Avenue in that little wooded area there. Mm-hmm. And they filmed it, re-reenacted the thing, and they filmed it. And uh, when Mom and Daddy found out, that, and the parents of us boys found out they had took us out of school without permission, Mom and them was upset about it. Yeah. But nothing ever became of that. Because uh, my, my mother and Daddy were very poor. And uh, so they didn't have any money to get involved in anything like that. So they just let it go. Well, now we'll get back to Ralph Hendricks, who had the money in Crestview. After so many, after a year of people claiming it and they looking at the evidence that the people presented saying it was their money, they had picked up years before that, nobody nobody that claimed it, claimed it in a way that they felt like it belonged to them, mm-hmm. Ralph Hendricks did. And so they, they, back, they scratched their memory and back a number of years before that, the police caught an old man coming out of that swamp with his pockets inside out. And he said, I've, I've lost rats eat holes in my pockets. I lost all my money. So they took him to the hospital because he was really not right. Yeah. They took him to the hospital and he eventually passed away there. So they thought that maybe he had won up there and gambled and won that money and brought it down there and buried it in that swamp and forgot about it because he, he never was able to get out of the hospital before after they put him in that day. Wow. So they think that's where it came from. So in the meantime, Ralph Hendricks and them finally decided that the money didn't belong to us because there was nobody that, you know, claimed it had a claim that sounded like it belonged to them. 
So in and, and the amount, of course, there was one guy named Julius LaRosa. Remember him? He was an old, he was a singer. He was out in California. He was a singer, but he came he vacationed there in Fort Walter, which a lot of people did and didn't know about it back in them days. And he said that was his money because he had it in the on the toolbox on the floorboard of his on the running board of his truck, and somebody stole that toolbox off, and the money was in there. Hmm. Julius LaRosa was an American traditional pop singer. He worked in both radio and television beginning in the 1950s. La Rosa's Navy peers tried to promote him to Arthur Godfrey, who was one of the America's leading radio and television personalities and a Naval Reserve officer himself. So this is how it went for him. So George Andrews from Omaha, Nebraska, was a mechanic on Godfrey's airplane, and he struck up a conversation with Godfrey and told him that he should hear his friend sing. They arranged for a time for La Rosa to audition in Pensacola, Florida, where La Rosa was stationed. Godfrey was impressed and offered him a job. He had La Rosa flown to New York to appear on his television show, with Godfrey ending the spot by saying, when Julie gets out of the Navy, he'll come back to see us. And sure enough, as soon as he was discharged from the Navy on Friday in November 1951, he went to Godfrey on the following Monday and appeared on the Variety Show a week later. But... His money and our money didn't match up as far as the amounts. So that was the only really big guy that claimed it that uh, other than the local stores there in Fort Wallen. Yeah. So it came to the day that Ralph Hendricks went to the judge and Chris and, and the Funiac, and the judge awarded us the money. And that, I have a picture where we were receiving our checks. I don't think I, I put that on. I don't think, uh, you know, this Stern had found that but anyway okay. uh we've come down the old ice house which sit right across in front of the Tringish theater and next to the old fort wallen beach motel the old house ice house stood there and and now that's a that actually an extension the fair avenue i think comes up to 85 there or 98 excuse me but it wasn't it wasn't called fair avenue then but the old ice house was had a two-story to it and they had lawyers upstairs and that's where the lawyers gave us the checks after the clerk, at, uh, after the judge in Dekuniak awarded us the money. Wow. So it's well, quite a story. That That is something else. I mean, you were, I guess, 10, 10 years old when you guys I found was, it? I was I was 10. My best buddy, Pete, he's gone now. He was uh, 12, and Donald Ward, the other boy, was 11. I was okay. the youngest of the three. Well, I got... Yeah, go ahead. We were great friends all our lives, and and uh, they're both gone now. And I'm I'm kind of I'm the last of the three amigos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got two important questions. <laughs> I guess go the right most o- the most obvious one is so you, I guess split eleven seventy six three ways is three hundred ninety two dollars, and that you know that's twenty twenty three right now. That's real money today. So I mean that must have been quite a thing for you guys. And what did you spend your money on? Well, I bought a bicycle that I still have. It's a Western Flyer Super that had turn signals on it. Only bike I've ever seen with turn signals. <laughs> wow. I, I bought that bike, and I still have it. It's in my garage right out there, and when I'm able, I ride it. Yeah. And everything on it works. There's turn signals and the horn and the headlight and the taillight. Wow. I looked up this bicycle. It's the Western Flyer Bicycle. It's spectacular, even by today's standards. I found a 1951 version that had what looks like front suspension. 
It has large front headlight and turn signals, like Jimmy had said, that you would change using a switch on the frame of the bike in front of you. And fenders for days, folks, both front and rear fender, and a chain guard. The middle of the frame was tagged in chrome and paint with a beautifully chosen font that reads Super. Almost as if putting the word Super on it made it a faster bike. Anyway, they're going for hundreds of dollars on eBay right now. Very cool bike. Anyway, let's get back to our conversation with Jimmy. And I bought mine with that. And Pete bought my other buddy. He bought him one just like it. But when he went into the service, his family got rid of his. But I, I've carried mine all over the world every time I was transferred. I, I worked for Sears for 40 years. I started with Sears in Fort Waller when it was in the, uh, next to the Tringish Theater. There's, a, there's Jimmy's newsstand, and that was a Sears catalog store. Oh, wow. And I started to work there as a service technician working on appliances. And I had just recently married, and then I got I stayed there for about three, four years, and then they built the mall, and we were transferred to retail. Okay. Because we were cataloged then, and that was a different division of Sears. But we went into retail, and I, I stayed there until I got promoted in upper management. But that's my story, and that's my life story. I've, I've never worked for nobody but Sears, never was married but a single lady. I married her when she was 17, and we were married 40 years. And uh, I married her when I got out of high school in 1959-60. Oh, wow. Man, that sounds like the American dream. Well, it was, and you mentioned the amount of the money. Yes, it, it, it. I gave it to my mother and daddy after I bought my bicycle. I think my bike was like eighty dollars because okay. it was a little high because of all the features it had. Mm-hmm. And I gave all the rest of the money to mom and daddy to pay bills. Yeah. I was, I was, I thought you might say that because you'd said that they they were hurting for 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 cash then. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I was so proud to, to help them. Yeah. Well, I, the other question is, um, your buddy who had to use the bathroom that day in the swamp, uh, did he? I guess he didn't finish his bathroom routine. He just pulled up his trousers and uh, started digging up money. Or uh... I, I probably, you're probably right, because when he pulled that first gob of pine straw up, you know the pine straw falls on the top, and when it's fresh pine straw and it's not wet and dirty. Mm-hmm. And he scooped some of that up. That's why he was stirring the, the, the pine straw to try to get some dry material. And that's when he first <laughs> saw the corner of a bill. Oh, man. And when he hollered that, boy, <laughs> it was Katie bar the door. <laughs> what an incredible story from Jimmy. I do so appreciate his time in telling it. He went on to talk about a 10-pound trout he caught from the first Brooks Bridge and found himself in the newspaper for that, too. I thought I would end this episode with a conversation with one of our favorite guests, Gareth Stearns. It was his Facebook group, Fort Walton Beach What We Did, that I found this story of buried treasure in the swamps of old Fort Walton. I invited Gareth to the actual spot where Jimmy said the money was found, at the Paradise Shopping Center parking lot in front of Beach Liquors, where the Magnolia once stood. The the setting where we are right now, is this is the the Paradise Shops at Paradise Point. There's Publix. It's a little after 9 a.m. on a Sunday, and we're in front of a uh, liquor store, and it is already bustling with uh, beachgoers, people grabbing beer, whatever, uh, food from the store. And it's hard to believe that 50, 60 years ago, this was swampland or or woods uh, in that area. 
Yeah, you know, thank you so much for the invite, Nick. This is uh, this is a sweltering July morning. No, you're right. This is this is a hustling, bustling area. We're sitting here next to Beach Liquors, which uh, a generation ago was Blockbuster Video. A uh, few years prior to that, Rhodes Furniture, and even okay. going further back, we got the Magnolia Bar. This is a big focal point. This is where some of the gambling, the illicit gambling, went on in the early '50s. So this was sort of. This is at the foot of the Brooks Bridge. This is where this was the focal point. Even though there was much swampland and, and, uh, and stuff to the north of us, this was still the center of activity. Highway 98 at the time was called Main Street. There were still probably some cows wandering around at the time. So to, to envision that being wooded swampland isn't isn't too completely out of the ordinary. We were just looking at at an at a aerial photo from the 1950s, and we think we were able to kind of zoom in on. Uh, on, on the area that Mr. War was talking about, which was, he sort of uses the Magnolia Club as a, as a focal point. And I don't think that's where the Swampland was. Uh, I think the Swampland was kind of near where Publix is, but across the street, across Perry Avenue, more near where Liberty Tax is. He, des he describes there being kind of a shopping center there today. So that little strip mall where Liberty Tax is and the Bangkok cleaners, where the Bangkok house kind of that used where that used to be i think that's more where he's describing but you know it's just sort of it's interesting to think about i've seen mr war make this comment about having found this money in the group for walton beach what we did for many years and i and i i guess i last christmas i, I decided to kind of investigate a little further i had a general time frame of what he was referring to and and uh, i used some of the descriptors squirrel hunting and and stuff like that and, and not only did i find it in our local newspapers but i found this story in more than 100 newspapers nationwide this is a nationwide news story it was a feel-good story that happened around christmas and the boys were getting the money returned to them after a whole year's worth of investigations mm -hmm. and you know i did the calculations in my head and eleven hundred and seventy six dollars in 1951 equates to about thirteen thousand nine hundred sixty three dollars in 2023 wow. yeah. so that was a really really big deal and and for him to have mentioned it a few times in the group it's, it's obviously something that stuck with him and it was a defining moment of his childhood and, and I think it's really cool that we were able to sort of uh, to, to reshare that and have people talk about it again and I mean, here we are doing a podcast on yeah, just trying to figure out exactly where this money was found and, and talking about how this was all swampland and we're in kind of in the middle of, of, a, of an urban sprawl if you will you know they so. paved paradise and sort of a parking lot parking yeah, lot yeah um well i, I appreciate you sharing it because it, it still is a good story um it's not every day that you hear about people finding money just randomly so you know the rumor is and this this sort of came about as a result of the the story being shared in social media there was a, a really popular barbecue joint right across the street from where we're standing right now uh, on the south side of 98, known as Main Street at the time. It was called Ray Jones Barbecue, Ray's Barbecue. And uh, yeah, everyone's, that's another one that's always getting talked about in the group. Uh, everyone wants the, the secret recipe to the famous sauce. Well, uh, Mr. Jones's family is also in the group and they've postulated that there was some missing money at the time from their own register. It was close oh, to that same amount. Okay. Uh, it was. It seems to be in that same time frame, and and that place is just right across the street from the Magnolia Club. So, 
you know, you can sort of you cobble together some yeah. context clues. Uh, you know, there's another story that Mr. War had shared. He's probably shared it with you, but a, a man had stumbled out of the Magnolia yeah. Club and had had been attacked by rats. I think that was his story. Pockets were completely outturned yeah. with holes in them and had been attacked by rats, and the money had never been... Uh, uh, been, never been found. And that's the great thing about stories like this is you know, yeah. you're going to get different interpretations. And you know, now someone's heard me say it, so they'll take 75% of what they remember and probably <laughs> add their own little spin to well, it. And that's, you know, it's like a child's game of telephone, and that's hey, you know, that's okay. That's that's what makes the history cool. It's not definitive. Every now and then you find one of them little jigsaw puzzle pieces, and, and you can and you know where it fits, but you might not have the complete other pieces that touch it but it's every now and then it's cool to find one of those pieces and you can start to see the menagerie the whole picture uh, a little bit clearer if you squint a little bit you know i love it yeah i don't know do you think there's uh underneath all this concrete and pavement do you think there's any more uh, stuff any more treasures perhaps it, this is this place was one of the last uh, areas of Florida to really be populated. We're only 100 years old. You know, people have probably been burying stuff for thousands of years here. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Native you know, Americans and Native Americans and who knows whatever legend, whatever other legends you want to attach. But there are plenty of good hiding places here. This was not a populated area. You, you got to think maybe you could come from Pensacola, travel up the Santa Rosa mm. Sound, and you've got this wooded mosquito ridden no one's going to come to the check in this area at that time and yeah perfect perfect spots to hide places little points and peninsulas and stuff like that who knows well awesome uh, i appreciate you coming out gareth yes boy gareth loves this town i do too the next time you take a walk pay attention and the next time you have to take a bathroom break in the woods you might get lucky like jimmy and his three amigos that's going to do it for this episode. This episode was written by me, Nick Tomachek. Our theme music is composed by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Special thanks to Jimmy War Sr., his other two amigos, Donald Ray Ward and Pete Richburg. Thanks also to Gareth Stearns. And what is now the vastness of historic anecdotes on the Facebook group Fort Walton Beach, What We Did. Thanks for listening. I'll see you around town. <laughs>